16. Hey, wasn't that a good song, the one we just sang last? And uh, it would have been great if I'd managed to get the music team geared up to do that one last week. That's what inspired you. So Psalm 116, there's a nice song based on Psalm 116. It's on the church Facebook page, so you'll have to connect with Facebook to uh, see this song that we've uploaded. Okay, so uh, Peter Tree's going to read Psalm 116. Fiona. Fiona's going to read Psalm 116. Hi, Fiona. Hello. Got to keep you guessing. Okay, great. Terrific. Thanks, Fiona. Okay, we're singing the whole of Psalm 116, which is on page 435 in the Red Pew Bibles. I love the Lord, for he heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy. Because he turned his ear to me, I will call on him as long as I live. The cause of death entangled me. The anguish of the grave came upon me. I was overcome by trouble, and so Lord, save me. The Lord is gracious and righteous. Our Lord, our God is full of compassion. The Lord protects the simple-hearted. When I was in great need, he saved me. Be at rest once more, O my soul, for the Lord has been good to you. For you, O Lord, have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling, that I may walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed, therefore I said, I am greatly afflicted, and in my dismay I said, all men are liars. How can I repay the Lord for all his goodness to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, truly I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have freed me from my chains. I will sacrifice a thank offering to you and call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, O Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. Amen. We're going to pray now as we consider God's word. So let's just bow in prayer, shall we? Father, we want to thank you for your word and we want to thank you that it speaks so volubly of your character. We pray that as we consider your um, your kindness to us in terms of your compassion and your, your grace and your righteousness, that uh, we would uh, really understand the solid basis that we have for putting our trust in you. We pray for the children next door, that uh, they would be learning great things from your word, uh, that they would be solidly rooted and grounded in the gospel of Jesus and built up in him. And so we pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Now, <clears throat> there's a couple of words in the English language that I think are very, very powerful. Uh, one of them is the word sorry, and the other word is the word thank you. Or is that two words? <clears throat> I'll call it one word, right? The word thank you is a very, very powerful word. Let me tell you a story that came out of the Second World War. The American general... Uh, George Patton was uh, deeply encouraged on one occasion by a young soldier. Uh, General Patton had established uh, what he called rest camps for soldiers that were uh, needing some R&R &R 
off the battlefield and he established uh, rest camps, uh, a number of, a network of rest camps for American soldiers. Uh, there was one young soldier who'd been serving on the field and he was having his time off and he went to one of the general's rest camps. The, the soldier decided that it was so good that he, that he, that he wrote to the general. He wrote to General Patton just to say thank you for having the vision, having the care and actually establishing a place where soldiers could go to rest. The, uh, the general was, was actually quite moved by this, so moved that he wrote back to this uh, young soldier and he said this, he said, in my 35 years in the army I've always tried to care for the well-being of my soldiers but he said, this is actually the first time that anybody has ever written and said, thank you. It's, uh, it's powerful, isn't it? It's powerful, pow a powerful word that impacted even this uh, tough, hardened general of the American forces. Thank you is a powerful word, and when you think about it, there are so many things that which we have to be thankful for. And there are so many people to whom we ought to be expressing our thankfulness, probably more often than we do. But in particular, we need to be people who express our thankfulness to God. Because there is so much that God has given us, there's so much that God does for us, that really is worthy of our thankfulness. But how do you say thank you to God? And how, how should we be responding to to God's goodness to us? That's the kind of question which the author of Psalm 116 wrestled with. If you want to open up your Bibles at Psalm 116, because in that psalm he asks this question, he asks, how can I repay the Lord for all of his goodness towards me? Now that's a great question, isn't it? That's a terrific question to ask. And I guess you'd have to say that one of the things which we really like about the Psalms is the way that the, the Psalms connect with our life experience of God. Uh, the way that the Psalms uh, reflect the kind of things which we would like to say to God and put those things in, in words. And the, the authors of the Psalms, and we call them psalmists, by the way, because we, we, we don't always know who wrote individual psalms. We're not sure who wrote this psalm. But the psalmists, they're, um, they're very frank and they're very open in expressing their thoughts and their feelings about God. Uh, they're not soppy. They're not sentimental. They, they're honest and they're frank. And they're also affectionate. And it's that affection in Psalm 116 that we see, it's, it's right up front, it's, it's front and central to this particular psalm. Because in verses 1 and 2, the psalmist tells us exactly how he feels about God, doesn't he? And what does he say? He says, I love the Lord. Now that's something which every believer ought to be able to say. I love the Lord. And when you think about love, love, you know, there's different kinds of ways that people use the word love, don't they? You know, I, I fell in love, you know, which sometimes means I'm, I'm just infatuated. 
uh, caught up in emotions and so on. And love is an emotional thing. And in the psalm here, when the psalmist says, I love the Lord, it is an emotional thing, but it's not just an emotional thing. It's an emotion which flows out of hard, solid fact. Uh, and so, therefore, it's both heart as well as mind. Because the, the psalmist has got some very, very good reasons as to why he can say, I love the Lord. I love the Lord. Why? Well, because he heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy. Now, as I say, we, we don't know who wrote Psalm 116 and I don't think it was David because right at the bottom of the psalm he talks about going up to the house of the Lord in Jerusalem to offer up a sacrifice and well the house of the Lord in Jerusalem wasn't built until after David during the time of King Solomon. So we don't know who wrote the psalm and we don't know what experience, what difficult experience that he went through but we do know how he felt about it. Uh, he says in, in verse 3, he's, in verse 3 he says that the cords of death entangled me. <clears throat> the anguish of the grave came upon me. I was overcome by trouble and sorrow. Now, um, as I say, we don't know what the problem was. Maybe it had to do with people and what people had done to him. Because down in verse 11, what does he say about all men? All men are liars. Right? And ladies... It's a generic term there, it, you know, it's... All right, we won't go too far down that track. Okay, but it's a, it's a graphic description, isn't it? He says, the cords of death entangled me. And when I think about that, I think of... The kind of Im image that comes to my mind is like a, like a dolphin uh, caught in a sharp neck, you know, and the, the more that the dolphin struggles to break free, the more entangled it becomes and... And it dies. And so what we have here is that it's a, it's a picture of despair and helplessness. Let's think about despair and helplessness for a few moments. There's a little town which is about 60 kilometres west of Inverell. It's called Warrialda. Anyone ever been to Warrialda? Okay, half the congregation. The Hamiltons uh, kind of lived out that way, didn't you? Well, I don't know if you ever picked up on this, um, but... In Warrialda, there's a Presbyterian church and on the property is what they call the manse. Uh, that's a minister's residence in Presbyterian speak. Okay? So the manse in Warrialda is made of, of sandstone. And the sandstone blocks that they used to build the manse were originally part of the old Warrialda prison. When they demolished the prison, they kept the sandstone blocks and they built a minister's residence out of it. Now, you've got to know where to look, but two of those sandstone blocks have got some words etched into them. One of them says this. It says, hell is here. Now, I don't think that the Presbyterian minister etched that into the sandstone rock. <laughs> On a bad day, maybe. <laughs> we can only imagine 
the situation of the 19th century convict who etched those words in his cell. Hell is here. Now, he might have been in prison for good reason. Uh, He might have been in prison having been falsely accused. He might have been in prison being punished in a manner which just didn't fit the crime. What we do know is that he felt trapped. He felt helpless. He felt that there was nothing that he could do to get himself out of that situation so that in, in his anguish... He would, he would etch these words, hell is here. Imagine that. The other sandstone block has scratched into it three very different words. The words, Lord, save me. Lord, save me. Now, it's not exactly what you'd call an eloquent, long-winded, flowery prayer, is it? But it's a profound prayer. It's a profound prayer that comes from uh, the anguish of a desperate heart. Because, friends, real anguish sometimes produces real deep prayer. And it's the very thing which our psalmist prayed in verse 4, in the midst of his troubles. He says, Then I called on the name of the Lord, O Lord, save me. tells you a bit about the man and his situation, doesn't it? It tells us that here is a man who has been stripped of self. Here is a man who has been stripped of self-reliance. Here is a man who has been stripped of that pride which says, I can do this. I don't need help. I don't need God. Here is a man who has been humbled. He's helpless and he knows it. But his prayer, in the case of the psalmist, is not just wishful thinking. It's not the situation whereby, you know, like, okay, so I've tried everything else and it's all failed. I might just give prayer a go and see if that works. No. This man cried out to God because he had some very solid grounds. Because he knows the character of God. Do you see what he says in verse 5? In verse 5, he articulates three very important truths about the character of God. He says, the Lord is gracious. That is, the Lord does not give to us that which we deserve in terms of our, uh, our sin. He, he does good for us when we don't deserve us. Deserve it. So that's the definition of grace. He does good for us when we don't deserve it. Actually, the flip side of that is mercy, is when he doesn't do for us what we do deserve, which is punishment. So that's mercy and grace. So the Lord is gracious. Secondly, he is righteous. And we know that justice is a big thing for God, and thankfully so. And he's compassionate. That is, he has a heart for those who are helpless. Do you ever wonder if God cares about what's going on in your life? Well, God is interested. And we see this in verse 2 because the psalmist says that God turned his ear to him. Uh, In the older version it says, he inclined his ear toward me. He turned his ear so that he could hear 
what the psalmist was praying. And what that tells us is that we pray and guess what happens? God listens. God listens. You see, it's not the activity of prayer which saves us from our suffering. I think that some people can tend to treat prayer as if it's some sort of a psychological thing, that you pray because it makes you feel good. It does make you feel good, doesn't it, when, when we pray? But it's not a psychological feel-good kind of thing. The reason that we pray, the reason that prayer is powerful, is because of the person to whom we pray. <laughs> Uh, because the person to whom we pray, he is gracious, he is righteous, and he is full of compassion. So last week we were reminded of Philippians 4, weren't we? And uh, in your sheets I've printed out Philippians 4 verses 6 and 7, where Paul says, Do not be anxious about anything, note that, anything, but in everything, note that, everything, by prayer and petition, present your requests to God and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, this peace. And we see something of the peace there in verse 6 where the psalmist says, The Lord protects the simple-hearted uh, rather, in um, verse 7, he says, Be at rest once more, O my soul. So when I am in the pits, I can remember that God is powerful, that he can fix my problem. I remember that my heavenly Father actually loves me, that he will do what is best for my godliness. And I remember that he actually listens to my prayer. God doesn't always listen to our prayers. If we are harbouring sin in our hearts, then he doesn't listen to our prayer. That is, if we pray out of false motives, if we're not actually really seeking God, uh, he pr but he listens to our prayers as we pray, putting our trust in him. By praying... What we do is we're handing over the problem to someone who is bigger, greater, more powerful, more wise than we are. And that's why we can experience peace. Remember the, uh, the old hymn? It goes, Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not... How does it finish? everything to God in prayer and it's true isn't it it's expressing the kinds of things about prayer that we see here in Psalm 116 friends the psalmist delighted to write this psalm because God had already had, had now proved his righteousness and his faithfulness uh, God heard his voice and God saved him now in verse 8 we t he tells us that God did deliver him uh, he said that the Lord delivered my soul from death. The Lord delivered my eyes from tears and my feet from stumbling. Sounds like God fixed his problem, doesn't it? Sounds like it. His heart was uplifted and life was back on track. Can you remember times in your life when God has done something similar for you? How do we respond? 
I don't know about you, but I tend to be a little bit better at remembering to pray to God to ask his help when I've got a problem. I'm a bit better at doing that than I am at saying thank you to God once the issue's been resolved. Um, do you feel a bit that, like that sometimes? Uh, even worse is when we actually forget to even pray to God and ask him to help us in the first place. How can we thank God? Well, that's the question that we started with in verse 12. Uh, in verse 12 where he says, How can I repay the Lord for all of his goodness to me? And then in verses 13 through to the end... He basically says to God, well, the way I'm going to repay you, the way I'm going to say thanks is I'm now going to become your servant. I'm going to worship you. And the word worship's interesting because I think a lot of people get, have a wrong view of what worship is. Uh, worship it's, comes from two English, old English words meaning worth and ship and it means to give God what he is worth. Now, what is it that we can give God that comes anywhere near what he's worth? What's, it has to be our very lives, doesn't it? It's not just an hour and a half on Sunday. It's, it's our very lives given over to God. And so out of heartfelt thankfulness, the psalmist says, I just want to live for you, God. I'm going to keep on calling on your name. I'm going to work hard at serving you. And I'm going to do so in the presence of your people so that other people know just what it is that you've done for me. So how good has God been? Uh, for many of us, I think this psalm does resonate because we can remember times when we've been in great need and God has done some very special things for us. But it's not always the case. God doesn't always give us exactly what we want what we ask for. Uh, many Christians who deeply love God still suffer from long-term challenges in life. And so how does Psalm 116 speak to those situations? How is it that all Christians, no matter our circumstances, how is it that we can all rejoice in God and say, thank you, Lord? Now, some Christians say that this really should not be an issue. Uh, and you've heard it before. There are Christians who say that if you have got faith in God and you pray, then God will solve your problem. Um, <clears throat> be it whatever the problem is, and it's usually health problems. So if you pray, if you ask for healing, God will grant your request. So what happens when he doesn't grant my request. I've heard some really strange stuff, like people have said, well, the doctor told me I've got cancer and I just refuted that, you know, and I rejected that out of my system, you know. But more often it's, well, because when you've prayed, you haven't had enough faith. And so it falls back onto you. The problem's your problem. That's not true. <clears throat> And uh, that can be extremely harmful to people. Uh, there are many examples through the scriptures of godly people suffering and asking God to relieve them of their suffering and the answer was no. The Lord Jesus Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane 
says, Lord, take this cup from me. The perfect man praying the perfect prayer to the perfect God. And the answer was no. The Apostle Paul uh, suffered terribly uh, throughout his life. Uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, <clears throat> Paul recounts a whole litany of the ways that he suffered in his ministry. And when you read 2 Corinthians chapter 6, you'd have to say, well, if it wasn't for God, you know, Paul would very much feel like that dolphin thrashing around in the shark net. Amongst other things, he talks about being sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. About being poor, yet making many people rich. About possessing nothing, but yet actually possessing everything. How can this be? Well, the psalmist describes God in verse 5 as being gracious, righteous and compassionate. And just remember what the psalmist was going through in verse, in verse 3 where he says that uh, the cords of death entangled me and the anguish of the grave came upon me and I was overcome by trouble and sorrow. Now, no doubt... Uh, he was experiencing a very real, very physical problem that he needed help from. But these verses also point us to a greater spiritual reality because this could be the cry of any person who knows that things are not right between them and God. This could be the, the cry of any person who's got their eye on the grave and what go, comes after the grave and is aware that things aren't well between them and God, that there is such a thing as sin in their life and guilt, and that they need a saviour. You might have had conversations with people, and that's I certainly have. I've certainly had conversations with people looking down the barrel of death and have said to me, I'm scared. I am frightened like you can't believe it. Help me. What can I do? I'm not worried about dying, I'm worried about judgment see on the cross the righteous judgment of God was satisfied as Jesus died to pay for our sin we call it, the theologians call it penal substitutionary atonement uh, that uh, the atonement is that Jesus paid the penalty for sin as my substitute and I have to say that there is a heresy going around at the moment that says that the atonement is not about penal substitution. That uh, in its most crass form, they would say that the idea that Jesus paid the penalty for our sin on the cross, well, that's cosmic child abuse. In its more sophisticated form, people are saying, yeah, well, that's, that's one aspect of the atonement, but it's, it's not central and it's... It's not essential to believe that, that Jesus actually paid a penalty for sin on the cross. And I guess underlying that is that they don't really believe in judgment. I think that's the key issue there. But in the, on the cross, what happens is that the, uh, that it, the cross proves God's character and we see God's uh, righteousness and God's justice colliding on the cross 
And in his compassion, as Jesus is actually punished in our place, his righteous judgment is satisfied. It proves his character. He is gracious because he gives us the good which we did not deserve. He is righteous because the guilt of sin is paid for. It's not swept under the carpet as if, you know, sin doesn't really matter. And it's compassionate because he did it for us. He did it for people who are caught in their sin, people who are helpless to do anything to change that situation. And he hears our prayer. When we pray that prayer, Lord, save me. Lord, forgive me for all of my rebellion against you. And in his compassion, in his graciousness and in his justice, that prayer can be answered as a very strong yes because of Jesus and what he's done on the cross. In fact, when God does allow us to suffer, and says no to our prayers for a relief from our suffering, he does so for a purpose. Sometimes it's in order to strip away our pride. It's in order to mould us so that we would be people who are more humble and who acknowledge that we actually really need God, that we're not self-sufficient, self-reliant, self-made people. And that's why... Paul in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 can say, be joyful always, pray continually and give thanks in all circumstances. Not, not just when things are going great, but to give thanks in all circumstances. So how do we say thank you to God for his great love for us? Remember Kerry Packer. How could you forget Kerry Packer? <clears throat> um, in 1990, what happened to Kerry Packer? He had, a, he had a heart attack, didn't he? And was that the time when he reckons that he died for a while and he, nothing happened? He came back and he wanted to say, look, there is no God, don't worry about it. <clears throat> nothing happened. So, you know, well, <clears throat> that's for another sermon. Um, in, he, had, he had this heart attack and he was, because he was playing water polo and in those days... Um, Ambulances in New South Wales didn't have um, defibrillators. Is that right? I, I struggle with that like I struggle with the word anaesthetist. You know, it's uh, just one of those words. So, so, but the ambulance that came to rescue Kerry Packer did have a defibrillator and it saved his life. And being a businessman, he did a deal with the government he said 50-50. You know what the deal was, don't you? 50-50 and we'll put a defibrillator in every single ambulance in the state of New South Wales. That's a good deal and that was a pretty nice way of saying thanks. Well, you and I have got a lot more to be thankful for because God just hasn't saved our lives. God has given us eternal life through Jesus. And so, therefore, the gospel has to profoundly impact our lives so that we don't live for ourselves anymore. We don't live for our pleasures. We don't live for our wealth. We don't live for our 
possessions. We don't live for our career. We don't even live for our families or we don't live for our experiences. We don't live whatever, for whatever it is that is different to living for God as number one in our lives. We live for him. We put God first, front and middle, central to our lives. Psalm 116 finishes with this picture of the, um, the psalmist offering up a sacrifice of a, a thank offering in the temple in Jerusalem. In Romans chapter 12, Paul says that in view of God's mercy in the gospel, that we are to offer up a sacrifice. We are to offer, offer up our very selves as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. And he says, this is your spiritual act of worship. I think that's something we need to pray about, so let's just spend some time praying, shall we? Father, we want to thank you. We want to say those words, thank you, for all of your goodness to us, we thank you, Father God, for the very breath of life itself. We thank you for all of the ways that we enjoy uh, your creation and that we enjoy you. Father, we want to thank you especially for your graciousness, your justice and your compassion as these characteristics uh, find their intersection and their fulfilment on the cross of Jesus. Father, we thank you that his death has indeed satisfied your justice and that in your compassion, therefore, you've been able to forgive us and uh, save us not from, just not save our lives, but save us for all of eternity. And so we pray for ourselves that we would be people who are given over to you. Help us to know you better through uh, reading and meditating upon your word and help us by your spirit to put your word into action in our lives. Father, strip us of idolatry. Strip us of those things which we trust in more than we trust in you. Strip us of those things which we think will give us meaning and significance in life more than finding our meaning and significance in you. Father, humble us. Father, we thank you for your goodness and we do so in Jesus' name. Amen.